Welcome into the JP and Hack Show, part of the Field of 12 Media Network. This is season one, episode 10, presented by our partners over at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. I'm Joshua Perry, of course, joined by my guy, Christian Hackenberg. It's a rough weekend if you were a Penn State fan, huh? Still trying to recover, man. Still trying to recover. <laughs> well, well, we got some conversation, but we'll try to keep it light here. Uh, as a recap of some of the scores from week seven of college football, we had Illinois beating Penn State in that nine overtime game. The score was 20 to 18. Uh, Michigan beat Northwestern 33 to seven. Minnesota beating Maryland 34 16. Wisconsin over Purdue 30 to 13. And Ohio State in the night game beating Indiana 54 to seven. Uh, if we're looking at the AP top 25, you got Ohio State at five, Michigan at, st- at six, excuse me, Michigan State at eight, Iowa at nine, back into the top 10 there. And we have Penn State dropping to 20. Um, let's get right to it. First game, obviously, was the big upset of the week. Uh, Illinois, again, winning 20 to 18. That game went into nine overtimes, which is absolutely wild. Um, just running through the stat sheet real quick, Illinois, 357 on the ground which is crazy. Um, Only eight completions in the whole game, including the nine overtimes. Uh, They had three turnovers as well. If you look at Penn State offensively, only 227 total yards. Clifford really didn't look like himself. And I said last week, I wasn't sure if I would have played him in that game, Um, especially now that they took the loss, probably should have held him out there. And the defense struggled to tackle and make adjustments. Uh, Tackling on the second and third levels were rough. Um, As you look into this game from your perspective, first off, I'll ask what transpired. And then secondly, how do you compartmentalize the loss? Yeah, I mean, it's so hard to really put a finger on it watching that game. It just. It really looked like a completely different football team out there and coming off a bye week, that's not something you would expect. But that's what happened. I mean, I agree with you. I don't think you said it, and I, I did agree with you last week. I don't think Cliff should have played. He, they, Whether they want to admit it or not, they were definitely trying to protect him from a play-calling standpoint. They weren't putting him in situations to use his legs. I don't think they were as aggressive on first and second down either. <clears throat> um, weirdly enough, it was very reminiscent of the year we played Iowa – I think it was my sophomore year and we went up there um got an early lead and then just played super super conservative and I don't know what it was I don't know why it happens against those guys but uh it just seemed very very conservative offensively couldn't really get too much going uh, I touched on it I think the O-line play is 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 bad mm-hmm. um and I think defensively, they they yeah they gave up 357 yards on the ground, but at the same time they took the ball away. Um, they were stout from a from a pass game standpoint, and you would expect a team like Penn State with the offensive weapons they have to be able to put up more points than Illinois, um, and and it just didn't happen. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. You you talked about the offensive line play. And it's been a real issue in Penn State's running game, and they obviously didn't run the ball well, uh, 62 yards on the ground in that game. And that's been par for the course for this year. I think what stands out, though, is when they needed to protect Clifford the most, they didn't. And that's the hard thing to kind of swallow if you're watching Penn State is the offensive line, I think, has been 
this team's Achilles heel for a little while. And we've talked about your time there at Penn State and how part of that was due to being hampered in recruiting. But even when they were able to get all of the scholarships back and to be able to recruit at a higher level, it seems like the offensive line, even like when Saquon was playing, you know, he's an elite running back that could just make guys miss or he could run through tackles. And when you don't necessarily have that guy back there, it really stands out to me. And then you mentioned Penn State defensively. And this is interesting because I, I disagreed with Jerry DiNardo on this when we were doing our post game. Um, I said that Penn State's defense really has to take a, a critical look. And it's not sounding the alarms necessarily, but giving up 357 on the ground is wild. Um, and so they have to take a look at some of the things that they did. And I'll get into a couple of those things. But Jerry said, yeah, I'm not exactly sure we should cut them some slack. They did enough to win the game. And so I had our researcher at BTN look up the stat about giving up over 350 uh, yards on the ground. And it says since 2000, there have been 136 times that the Big Ten team ran for 350 yards. They are 128 and eight in those games. So, so rushing for 350 yards is a surefire way to win a game. The inverse yeah. of that is if you're a defense and you let a team run on you like that, you're going to lose a football game. And what I saw just from a defensive standpoint, I mentioned the tackling, but on the second and third level, the tackling was not very good at all. They were guys missing tackles left and right. Then you look at the linebackers and I don't necessarily think that they flowed to the ball well and they couldn't get off of blocks, which is an issue. But from a defensive scheme standpoint, we saw Illinois go out there and do some unconventional things. They put seven offensive linemen in the game at times and they were just going to run the football doing that. Penn State's answer wasn't to put their goal line package out there. It's essentially what Illinois was running in the field. It was to keep four defensive linemen in the game. And I feel like it's a really hard way to defend the run when a team gets heavy. And so yeah. there are a lot of different things that you can point to in that game. But to me, obviously the offense needs to get better and you've got to be able to score more points, like you said, with the weapons. But from a defensive standpoint, I don't think it's just as simple as saying, the offense didn't score enough. You put yourself in a bad situation to try to win a football game. A few things on that. I think I think PJ being hurt is a massive piece to that puzzle. I said I that on the post game as well. That that is a killer. He's a he's a dog inside. He's a big body. He's one of the few big bodies that they do have. Yep. And when you start putting those little guys in positions, I'm not even going to call them little guys, but but more athletic, smaller, yeah. not really point of attack type defenders. Yeah. Um, when you put them in situations like you're saying against seven, seven offensive linemen, it, it's really putting them in a position to fail. And you can't do that. And then uh, the other thing that you touched on about the offensive line not being able to protect Clifford, I want to tie that back into how I think how I thought they were so conservative that every time he was dropping back, everybody in the stadium and everybody watching knew it. Yeah. And that's hard. Again, putting your players in a, in a tough situation to be successful. I don't care who you are, who it is, who you're playing. If you give a team one option, they're going to play it pretty damn well. Yeah. Especially at the division one level. So it was very uncharacteristic of the offense. They did not have any type of ebb and flow to me. And like I said, I think it was partially because they were protecting Clifford. And then weirdly enough, it ended up shooting them in the foot because they became so predictable that I think it actually put Clifford in tougher situations. And that's, 
you know, um, it's real easy to be the guy sitting there and watching it and not the guy that's, that's on the sideline. And I, I always hate doing that, but it's so, so frustrating when it's been a theme since coach Franklin's been there a few times now and there's someone's got to start, someone's got to start looking at it and being like, Hey guys, like we, we, we got to cut this shit out. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. It's, it's tough. And we'll circle back on this game in our second segment, big thoughts uh, wanted to get on this Wisconsin Purdue game. It was probably the second most interesting game uh, coming out of the weekend there. Uh, Purdue was in the top 25 coming into the game. They had the big win over Iowa, obviously, uh, they're playing Wisconsin, who we know the defense is stout. We know they could run the football. The question has been about their throw game. Um, and so w- coming in, the idea was Purdue would have to be able to respond after getting a big victory, and they couldn't do it. Now, here's the stat that I think matters the most. It's, it's really two of them for Purdue. Is Bell had 33 yards in the game on six receptions, um, yep. and he is a big part of their offensive game plan. But they rushed for a net of 13 yards. And when you adjust the number for sacks, it was a 30-yard rushing game, which is not very good. Um, And that speaks to Wisconsin defensively. But the thing about Purdue the whole year has been the fact that these cats can't necessarily run the football to create the opportunity for the drop-back game that they rely on. And it was apparent against Wisconsin. Yeah, this was a big letdown for me personally we did kind of talk about it about how this is the prototypical trap game you're kind of back in now you know you're on a high horse and you got to be able to respond and I think Purdue showed a lack of maturity from that standpoint and going even tying it back to the Penn State game you said it if you can't if you can't run the football effectively you're putting yourself in a really tough situation um and then when your guy isn't the guy during the game, it puts a lot of pressure on your quarterback, right? So, um, and I just don't think Purdue's built for that. Uh, so this was the biggest surprise for me. And I, I mean, honestly, you got to give a lot of credit to Wisconsin and how they came in and prepared and, and ultimately dominated the game, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, they were smart game plan wise. Obviously, they double team Bell. And I feel like that is the game plan moving forward if you're a team. As playing yep. Purdue, if you can X him out of the game, you're going to have a lot of success. Uh, but even further than that, I think it's just a defense that uh, they understand the type of personnel that they have, and they also understand what they're supposed to do within the scheme. And you're looking at guys who are they're largely developmental guys on that defense. They're not four and five star players coming in there. They're guys that have to work and grind and understand the game of football. And they clearly do that. So Wisconsin now is in a unique position because they control their own destiny in the West. Um, and that puts them in a dangerous spot just in terms of what they can do. And we'll pre get, uh, we'll preview the game they have coming up uh, this weekend against Iowa, which is going to be big because Iowa's also in the big 10 West race. Um, but they're in a, they've put themselves in a position now, if they can continue to win games and build throughout the second half of the year, they're going to have all their dreams right in front of them in terms of winning a big 10 championship. Let me tell you about our sponsors over at bet river Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up yet, BetRivers is offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart from everyone else is that they require just one playthrough to turn that bonus into cash money. With their new Rush Pay instant approval, withdrawals are not only fast, they are safe, secure, and reliable. 
Go to betrivers.com today or download the BetRivers iOS app. Must be 21 years or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Let's segue into our second segment, Big Thoughts. And this one is going to be interesting because I've got a few topics on here that I want to run through. And we'll start with Wisconsin, the team we just talked about. Uh, we, we know that they can play really good defense. We know that they can run the football at will. They had two rushers go over 100 yards in that game against Purdue. But the question has been, and the question remains, can Wisconsin continue to f- improve the way that they're throwing the football right now? Because they threw for a total of 52 yards on five completions. In this last game, in the game they had against Army, they did not throw the ball very well. I think they might only had six completions in that game. Is this a team that can truly challenge for the West if they can't throw the football? I I don't think so. I think if you're going to play, if you're if 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 the challenger in the West is Iowa, as much as we've talked about how Iowa was built. Um, <laughs> I think this is kind of like a poor man's Iowa, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not as effective in the past game. I don't think they're as creative. I, maybe it's not that they're as creative. Maybe it's just that they don't have the guys that can separate and understand the schemes and, and the points that they're trying to attack. But whatever it is, ultimately, you got to do better than that, throwing the football in order to really, really be a contender. And And the hard part of it is, is, the way that they play right now, they go over and play. I'm not even going to include Penn State in this right now, but they go over and play a Michigan State, a Michigan, or an Ohio State. I think you, it's not even close. I mean, you're you're basically playing for second place in the Big Ten right now if if they don't improve drastically quickly. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you on that one. Um, it's it's interesting because the old formula for for winning football was run the damn football and play great defense. And now I think you'd really need to have guys who can be explosive. And if, you know, if you need to go down on a, a four play drive that takes a, a minute and 20 off the clock, um, you need to have the weapons on the outside to produce that. And Wisconsin doesn't. And as a matter of fact, it's the, the exact opposite. It seems like anytime they need a big play in the pass game, they end up turning the football over. Um, which absolutely isn't winning football. So I'm curious. And the West is interesting because they don't have the explosive teams like the East. So they will absolutely be in games. But when it comes to the big one, are they able to get the plays that they need through the air? And right now, I don't have any reason to believe that they can. Yeah. I mean, I'm in the business of showing me. So they got to, they got (laughs) to. They got to they got to prove it before I before I jump on it. I'm with you on that one. Uh, next question we got up here is a similar question relating to Michigan. McNamara threw for 129 yards on 20 completions. Is this a team that can, again, run the ball, play good defense, pass when they have to, not necessarily when they want to, and be able to beat a Michigan State Penn State down the line, Ohio State in the last game, and be the champs of the East? Well, I think we're going to find out. Um, the, the, one of the things that I talked about, because I, I kind of had to highlight this game this weekend after in the After Dark show, I, I prefaced it by saying I'm not quite sure if it's that McNamara is not elite 
but I feel like Michigan doesn't put him in situations to prove it. I, I feel like they lack that possession passing passing game that I think a, a school like Michigan has the weapons and the personnel to be able to implement on a consistent basis. They just don't really do it. Um, and they, they really haven't had to, uh, you, you kind of saw it hurt them a little bit this week because I mean, it was what 10, seven going into halftime Mm -hmm. and then they ended up pulling away in the second half. But the one thing watching that game for me, at least as I'm sitting there and just analyzing it was, I just, I, I don't see a, I don't see any type of just pure West coast progression type reads trying to beat zone coverage, right. You know, even curl flats like you don't, <laughs> you don't see a lot of this basic possession passing game from Michigan sure. they prefer to rely on the gadgety you know end yeah. arounds misdirection run yeah. the football and then when they're in third and three figure out what they got to do um but staying on schedule is big for them so I I would like to see them and I hope and I think they're going to need to in order to beat some of the teams that you mentioned they're going to need to develop that that type of passing game, that possession passing game, things they feel comfortable calling on first and 10, knowing that they're going to be just as efficient throwing it as they have been running it. Yeah, it's interesting. You you asked the question about McNamara. Is he a guy that can be elite and we just haven't seen it? Or is this kind of his ceiling? And I think there is, it's a little bit of both. I think he's a guy who definitely yeah. has a ceiling. However, I think that they are also not putting him in positions to maybe shine the way that he can. And I think that's what Jim Harbaugh really wants to be at this point is a, an offensive coach that relies on the run game and doesn't put his quarterback at risk. Doesn't put him at risk to take big shots, getting hit. Doesn't, he hasn't been sacked a lot this year. Um, Doesn't put him at risk to turn the football over. And I think he's only thrown one interception on the season. I I truly think that's what they want to be. And you mentioned their pass game and some of the progression And what's wild is I think part of that is due to the fact that when Ronnie Bell went down, they lost their best receiving threat by far. And he was a guy that would be able to elevate the play of everybody else on that offense because he would draw so much attention. It'd be easier for other cats to get open. And now they're really relying on tight ends in the passing game to be their biggest threats, which is fine because some of those guys are really hard to guard. I think they've got two really good ones. But yeah. I'm not exactly sure that is the, the game plan that's going to take you as far as you can go. So I'm curious to see one of two things is, number one, are they holding back and they're going to open up the game plan? Or number two, and I don't think this is necessarily the way that they should go, but do they look to the young guy who's definitely a more explosive player and maybe put him in some situations because he has no conscience. He'll throw the ball any damn where on the yeah. field and see if he can be that guy who can be explosive in the passing game. I think it's a unique situation they're in right now. Yeah, it's hard because I feel like they've developed an identity, right? Mm-hmm. And and making a change at that position could cause a seismic shift in who they are offensively. Yeah. And doing it at this point of the season, I don't think would be a wise decision. But I, I think McNamara is competent. It's he's competent enough to be able to 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 just like I said, just I mean, throw stick. You know, yes. they, they just rely so heavily on those little key screens and the receiver screens on early downs as their yeah. like passing game, which is really just an extension of their running game. 100%. If they have numbers. So it's so it's it's just frustrating not to see a guy like Harbaugh who comes from a pure West Coast, West Coast. system 
not implementing just some of the basic drive concepts, sticks, stick nods, stuff like that, that can, that can really be beneficial and honestly help, help your run game even more. And you can get creative with as much misdirection as they do in those end around motions and stuff like that. You can get really creative, putting guys in spots and just trusting, trusting Cade to be able to pass it efficiently, which I think, I think he has the ability to do it. And I just, I think the one thing you said was really cool. I just don't think that they've put him in a situation where people can see his ceiling, yeah. right? He has a ceiling. Yeah. I completely agree with you there, but they haven't put him in positions where people can see a ceiling. And I don't know if they're, maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but maybe they're, they're trying to hold that. Yeah. No, I mean, that could be the case, but I agree with you. I, I think it's just, they haven't done it. I think that's just kind of who they want to be. And you're right yeah. about the seismic shift. If they do think that switching out quarterbacks might be the answer, it changes the identity of the offense. But the other thing that it does is it causes confusion in the locker room because you've asked the guys to listen to one voice and to follow one leader specifically on the offense in their quarterback. And now you're changing that voice and that leader up. And it causes a little bit of a division because there are going to be some guys who are Cade McNamara believers. There are going to be some guys who are JJ McCarthy believers. And it, it just, it, it becomes a situation that you definitely don't want to have, especially with the success that they're having right now. So they're undefeated. There's yeah. no need. They're undefeated. You know, yep. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, but that's where I'm at. If you want to find it, test the kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? Put the yep. kid in a situation and test him. And then, I think that's going to really give you your answer as a coaching staff and as to who's the answer at that position. I'm 100% on board with it. Um, next topic, simple question. Always use offense about 50 points a game right now. Can they keep it up? I, I just think, I think it's been a slow build up into this point, but they have so many weapons. Olave, Garrett Wilson was kind of my like, he was my like sleeper Heisman guy because I think he's so explosive and he creates so many mismatches. He can play all over the, he can play every position he absolutely in the can. receiving room. And he's also your, your, your kick returner. He reminds me a little bit of kind, uh, a guy who I, I have a ton of respect for love him to death. Jalen Marshall, who yeah. was up there when you were there, he reminds me a little bit of Jalen. He's, he's, I think longer, a yeah. um, little bit bigger frame, but, very, very similar in terms of the the problems he can present to yeah. defenses. Um, but I just think – I think that their running game's gotten so good. Travion Henderson's a stud. Um, and then CJ – CJ's really settled in nicely. He's – he's I think he's got a better idea for what Ryan Day expects out of him. Yes. And he's just settled in so nicely. Um, and, I mean, if any team's built to – to survive shootouts and to go in there and have to hang 60 to win it. Um, they're probably one of the few teams in the country that I would be able to very, very confidently shove all my money in on them being able to do that all the way through. Yeah. Um, and that's, 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 you, you can't say that about many teams, but I could definitely say that about them. So it's, this is, it's interesting to me. And this is not to punch down on Michigan because Michigan fans might see it this way, but Michigan played um, their starting offense basically like halfway through the fourth quarter against Northwestern. And they came up with 33 points in that game against the Northwestern defense that's much improved after the bye week, but they had shown that they can give up plays. And I look at Ohio State and you can go back to the Maryland game where the starters were out the whole fourth quarter and they go for 60 plus in that game. 
Um, you look at this Indiana game where the starters were out midway through the third quarter, and they put up damn near 50 in the first half in that game. And I still think that in a full game with these guys all playing, they can continue this type of offensive explosion. And the other thing is I'm not 100% convinced that Ryan Day has fully opened up the playbook because he's got a couple of tight ends that can really make plays and they don't design it for those guys. Not right now, at least. And yeah. so that's what I'm curious about is they're, they're going to face way tougher defenses. And so there's going to be more resistance, but I'm curious to see against those defenses and guys having to play potentially a full game. Can they go over 40, 50 points in some of those games? And I'm not exactly sure that these teams have answers consistently to stop them from doing that. And, and that's the hard part because ultimately one of the reasons I named all those guys was because Ohio state has the ability to play matchup football mm -hmm. better than anybody else at the end. Cause at the end of the day, offensive football is super simple. It's numbers, leverage, and matchups. Yeah. If you, if you understand all three of those things and you know how to put guys in situations where my guy's better than your guy, give him the football. I don't care because you can't cloud Chris Olave. If you no. do now, Garrett Wilson's one-on-one. -on -one. And now, uh, in Jigba's one, like yeah. they have so many weapons out there that it, it really puts defenses in really hard positions. Um, and then if you do cloud a guy, well, they're, they're just going to start pounding the rock. So it's like, I, I think you bring up a great point. I think there's a lot more to this offense. And like I said, there's, there's, there's more room in that gas pedal. It hasn't even close. It hasn't even come close to hitting the floor yet. And I think that that's what they're going to need to continue to do if they want to make a run at the college football playoff, which at least from an offensive standpoint, and then the defense is coming along to me right now, this is the team in the big 10 that, that seems to be leading that charge. Yeah. I mean, it'll be definitely interesting as the, the competition ramps up for this Ohio state team, but what they've done since making a change on defense with the play calling. And then after CJ, took that week off to really get his shoulder right and to, you know, probably be able to study and see the game from a different yep. perspective. They've been on point. Um, all right. So this is the last one on here. And, and obviously we have to talk about this. Um, we'll take a little bit of a, a back and forth approach to this because there's so many layers, but Penn state. Now there's some drama to what's going on. Lost two in a row, one to a really good Iowa team. The other one to a team that they should have beat the piss out of. Right. And so you have that. Then you come into this week and James Franklin has a press conference where he mentions his focus is on Illinois, where he mentions the horseshoe as the big house. There is a report of a new agent that came out this week, and he claims that the change was made over the summer. But regardless, there's that conversation going on. And then there are the rumors about USC and LSU and some of these other opportunities and it doesn't, he hasn't done the Mike Tomlin, there's not a big enough check that one of these boosters could write that would make me leave my job uh, type of denial of some of these rumors. And so they're in a very precarious position um, as a program now to be in a position to lose three in a row. And also there are questions about the future of this program in terms of coaching. I mean, what do we make of this? Yeah, man, it's uh, it's super frustrating. And it's it's one of those things where I think you bring up a great point about the Mike Tomlin thing. And if 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 
Coach Franklin, he could nip all of this in the butt, get this distraction the hell out of here by simply coming out and saying, like, I'm, I'm here. But as an outsider looking in and also having been in the politics of, of the game of football at every level, there's only one reason for him to not do that, and that's yep. because he is keeping every door open. Yep. And really, uh, so I was looking through Twitter today, and I found an interesting tweet. And it was her name's Mary Beth Schmidt, and it caused a little bit of ruckus within the Penn Penn State, you know, beat world. People doing it. Um, she's a 2022 alumni candidate for the Board of Trustees, and she her tweet goes, "In light of all the recent Penn State football speculation, here's a question to consider: What does Penn State football stand for? Not what did it stand for over the last 10 years." But through the next 10, what does it stand for? Hmm. And I think that's a very, very deep and honest and merited question moving forward. Because although Coach Franklin came in and has done a fantastic job recruiting outside of the offensive line position, <laughs> in my opinion, um, he's he's gotten guys in there. Uh, I think where he lacks at that skill set and at that position is really true true town evaluation yeah because although penn state is on a pedestal and it is it is able to compete with the likes of ohio state in the world there's still an element of penn state where they go out and they get that two star that just ends up being an all pro and an all american or an all american for you in you know two years because Mm -hmm. maybe he's under recruited maybe he's not playing great competition whatever it may be but being able to truly evaluate the talent at a at a at a at a minute level and see it at a young age and, and get that kid involved. Um, I think that's where it's lacking. I think that's where they found gold sometimes, especially up front. Uh, now he's just kind of going out and offering every five-star that he can and trying to right. get him in there. Right. And stars don't always define players. And you, you know that, and I know that, but yeah. I guess within, in light of that tweet, um, my question for you is as an outsider, because I, I, I have my own opinion and I think sure. Penn state, Penn State's kind of one of those special programs in terms of how they've done things. And you can say whatever you want about Joe. He ran a, he ran a really tight ship and it was kind of a, it was a very unique ship and how he, how he did things and what he expected out of his players within that program. And I know it's super, super hard because of how long he was there for anybody to step in there and not be compared to him. But I think there's a unique way where you can embrace it. And although I think coach Franklin embraced it on the surface and he said all the right things, I don't necessarily know if he embraced it wholesomely. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion. Sure. As an outsider looking in and a guy who's a big 10 guy and, and who loves ball, what is your opinion on that? Where do you, like, what do you see? And do you, do you see there's this distance in there or, or, you know, just go, I, I really want to hear it from somebody else. It's, it's super interesting that you asked that question. Cause it's a literal thought that I had earlier today. So I'll start off by saying this and there's because I saw this conversation on Twitter and I think that it's a really unique conversation. There are a lot of people, obviously Penn State supporters, but other people in the football community that see Penn State as a destination job where somebody would want to go there and they would want to coach there and end their career there. There are a lot of people that view Penn State as a second tier job, a great job where you can build a career and you can have a ton of success. But ultimately, there is another stepping stone to your career 
whether it is like an Ohio State in the same conference or whether you're looking at a USC um, and LSU, some of the names that have popped up. I believe that the latter is how James Franklin has viewed the job. And coming in, he, I think he was a good candidate for the job because of what he did at Vanderbilt. He turned a team that was a doormat of their conference into a top 25 team. And he recruited guys and he, he changed the way that they operated there. And what Penn State was going through at the time, which you well know, is they needed a, a cheerleader and a recruiter and somebody who could revitalize and bring energy. But it always seemed like there were rumors swirling every time Penn State got hot that James Franklin was going to be somewhere else. Those rumors don't come up out of nowhere. Like the, the, the candidate list is something that people in the media can create. But the legit rumors are typically leaked by ADs and agents who are trying to figure out an AD puts it out there to see how their fan base receives a certain candidate. An agent puts it out there so their person is in the conversation or they can try to get more money out of the school that they're with. And I, I felt like, and this is not an indictment on James Franklin because I think he's done a very good job there, but there was always a feeling that this was never the destination for him. I also believe that coming off of a, a legendary coach you're in a little bit of an impossible situation. Obviously, uh, Bill O'Brien was there and did a really good job, but he was only there for a couple of years. So James Franklin comes in, and I'm not exactly sure that you can ingratiate yourself to the community the same way a legend like Joe Pa could. I'm not exactly sure that your family is ever going to feel as comfortable than Joe Pa's family felt in state college. And so I think that is a part of maybe the psychology of what has transpired here is a guy who understood the opportunity, has tried to make the most out of it, has revamped recruiting, and I agree with you outside the offensive line, done a really good job with recruiting to Penn State with the backdrop that there was going to be potentially another opportunity for him out there in the world of college football. And that's kind of the way that I see it. And it's really interesting now because you mentioned it, and I totally agree with it. He left the door open intentionally, intentionally. Because if this was the place for him to be, the conversation would have ended at, this is where I'm at, this is where I want to be into the future, period. If this was what he wanted, long term, he would never switch agents. I don't care if he actually did it this week. I don't care if he did it in the summer. I, and, and you know this from, yeah. from having yeah. representation, I'm the same way. Like I, the, the reason why I would consider new representation is because of the opportunities that come along with it, right? period. And, and so it's a really unique, and I've said this before, precarious spot that Penn State is in because of what's transpired on the field, but also now you have things that are up in the air as you evaluate this program and leadership into the future. Um, and I'm curious to see how it plays out and the timeline that it plays out in, but it, this always seemed like, a place that James Franklin definitely enjoyed coaching at, but did not see himself finishing his career in state college. Here's, here's where I kind of, I, I, I hear, I hear you, but I also disagree where from the standpoint of, I think had he been able to come in and had the team 
experienced the level of sustained success that he wanted. And really that bar is being able to beat Ohio State consistently, not once every eight years, but consistently. I think had he been able to do that, because I think Penn State's a place, I think they're further along than Michigan in that regard. I think Penn State's a place who can do that. And I'm not, and that's not taking anything away from Ohio State because they've been great and you can't take anything away from what they've done. Sure. But my point being is I feel that a place like Penn State should be able to year in, year out compete with Ohio State at a very, very high level. Really, the way it was, eh, yeah, even, even, I mean, even towards the end there, Joe, Joe got a couple licks in. Um, but still, um, I think Penn state's a place that can do that. And I think had he been able to do that, I think the narrative would have been a little different. And to me, I think James is at the point in his career and I'm going to let you go after this. He's at the point in his career now where he's, he's chasing that he wants to be a college football playoff coach. And I think the reason the Ohio, the, uh, the USC job is so appealing, tantalizing and appealing to him is that, he no longer has to go through the giant yes. of Ohio state and that conference is wide open. And wide when you want to talk about, you want to talk about his strengths as a coach, which yeah. are not X's and O's. Yeah. It is, he's, he's not a ball guy. He's a recruiter. This is the brand. This is the image. I'm going to bring guys in that can do that. That can handle that side of it for me. There's no better place to do it than LA. Okay, There's no so better place. That's, that's what I was getting to is, I don't disagree with you at all about Penn State being the team in the East that should be able to year in and year out go toe to toe with Ohio State. They need a ball coach. They need the, a guy who's an X's and O's guy. That's the Just that as, is 100%. James Franklin yeah. probably isn't the coach for that. I yeah. think that he is a great recruiter. I think he can build a program. When yeah. you talk about getting to that point that puts it over the top, I'm not exactly sure he's that guy which is totally fine when you're at USC because all you have to do is beat Oregon, which is a a team that's beatable in the PAC 12 and you can recruit whoever the hell you want to. It seems like all the best quarterbacks in college football right now are California guys or West coast guys, right? So he can get those guys, the program changing quarterback to stay in the state of California and he can recruit wide receiver talent there He can recruit offensive linemen out of the West Coast, the Samoan guys that people like to recruit that are, they are phenomenal football players. He can get those guys. And then he can cast his net nationally to say, okay, where do we need to go? Do we need to go to Texas or Florida or Georgia to go out and get that five-star elite pass rusher? He can get that guy and he can do that on the West Coast. I think Ohio State, and this is again, not to disparage any program in the Big Ten right now, it seems a little bit insurmountable, just the way that they have been able to collect talent over years and have been able to hire the right coaches over years mm-hmm. has put them in a position to have continued success. James Franklin has put this Penn State program in a pretty good position to be able to do that. There has to be somebody to get it over the top. And he probably understands that his best opportunities, if he wants to be a playoff guy, might be elsewhere. And that's not a knock on him. That's self-awareness. Yeah, 100%. 
I mean, it is, uh, and, and it and it sucks for Penn State, and it sucks for the fans because I know how those fans are. They get so attached so quickly because of what they've been used to and for the sure. consistency they've been used to. But you know, maybe, like I said, maybe if they, I, if if everything ends up transpiring, they need to hit a home run with this next hire, and it needs to be a guy who's in it for the long haul, who's an X's okay. and O's guy, and and who can take the level of recruiting seriously that James to the level that James took recruiting, maybe not that level, but also balance it out with, with, with being a ball guy and not sacrificing too much on either end and be able to go from what James built there, be able to build on what James built there from a recruiting standpoint, but also now bring in an identity from an X's no standpoint that I, I think has been lacking just because of the turnover with the offensive coordinators I mean, Brent Pry's been there for a while, but even defensive coordinators. All right. So where do you go there? Then if, if you're looking to hire and you're Penn State, who would be your guys? I've got a couple of guys that are top of mind for me. Um, yeah. So we probably have a little bit of crossover, but what are you thinking? Yeah. Well, a very interesting one would be, and this is just me wanting to see if A, he's got the balls to do it, and B, if there's not a little bit of unfinished business would be getting O'Brien back there. Um, I don't know how good that would be just in terms of messaging and transitioning back into it, but from an X's and O's guy, he's the guy. And he's also a guy who, who built a pretty strong class in my class as a recruiter. He, well, he wasn't as flashy as coach Franklin, but he was yeah. a very good talent evaluator. Um, another guy who I think would be fantastic would be Joe Moorhead. That's my guy. Um, yeah. I mean, getting Joe Moorhead back in there would be an unbelievable thing. You know, I was a huge supporter when he was up there. I think, I think his persona, his core values as a human being mesh very well with what Penn state's core values are blue collar, hard nose, get the job done. Um, and then I'm sure there's some guys that are up and coming, but those two have been on the forefront of my mind. Um, another guy who's had a stint there, I don't think he's going to leave where he's at, but another interesting one would be Joe Brady down in Carolina. If someone was going to give a young guy a chance, got the flair, definitely has the X's and O's. Joe was a GA when I was there. I love the guy. We spent freaking hours. We called it the submarine. The GAs were in like a little, <laughs> little sub office. He and I spent hours, um, and I think that'd be an interesting one, but you know, I, I ultimately, like I said, I think it's got to be a ball guy who yeah. who can embody that that hard nosed blue collar, let's get the shit done type mentality, um, and also be a great talent evaluator from a recruiting standpoint. Yeah, so I I'm I'm with you on your analysis of what type of profile it has to be, and I love the names that you threw out there. Um, I think Joe Moorhead would be a home run uh, for a number of reasons. Like you said, he's the next is a no guy, uh, which is going to be important. He has history at Penn state and he had very successful offenses while he was there. Um, and he's also a guy who it seems like has the blueprint out of anybody to beat an Ohio state team. And I think yep. that's really important to this conversation where he did it at Penn state and he did it at Oregon. Um, and I think that is very important. Another name that is really interesting and this one's kind of off the board and it's somebody who I know, but I think it would be a great fit is Jeff Halfley, who is the head coach of Boston College. And 
you look at the record at Boston College and it's not outstanding, but that is a program that has some limitations to what they can do. Uh, politically, obviously being a Catholic school, they've got some things to deal with there, but it's also a really good academic school. So they can't just recruit anybody. And uh, geographically, they're really limited in the yeah. type of players that would naturally want to go there. Um, he coached at Pitt. So he's got Pennsylvania ties. Um, and he coached with Ryan Day in San Francisco for some years. And they know each other very well. And so he's in the mind of Ryan Day. And he's a New Jersey guy. And me and you both have talked about the importance of the state of New Jersey. There are guys on Ohio yeah. State's roster from New Jersey that are balling out. There are guys on Penn State's roster from New Jersey that are balling out. And so if you can obviously own the state of Pennsylvania, which he has experience in, he can go back to New Jersey, a place that he knows and he's recruited heavily in the past, um, and then build from there. I think you've got something. And he isn't an offensive X's and O's guy, but he is one of the foremost defensive minds in the game right now. He's young. Right. He's vibrant. I think it would make sense. So they've got some good options. Yeah. I think I, I was going to ask you that from a defensive standpoint, because obviously my, my brain goes straight to offense, but um, I think just as, just as easily as you could bring in an offensive guy, you can bring in a great defensive guy who has an offensive guy in his hip pocket who, yeah. who he trusts explicitly. And it could kind of, it could be that, that two headed monster there that messaging and putting it out there type standpoint could be really good. Yeah, so this will be an interesting thing. It's a little bit of a drama now, but we'll watch it unfold. And obviously, we'll have commentary throughout the rest of the year on it. But I want to get into this last segment. We got our uh, week eight previews here uh, for some games. There, there are a couple of snoozers on here, but we got a couple of really good ones, too. Um, I'll run through the snoozers first. We got Rutgers favored by two at Illinois. Um, not a lot of commentary there. Illinois coming off of a big win. Uh, Rutgers is looking to get back into it and try to get bowl eligible. Um, yeah. I mean, not a lot there. Yeah. I, you know, I agree with you. <laughs> if you want to say something, can, can, can Illinois come off? Can they not be hung over going into this, you know, just, right. just to add something in there, but can they not be hung over coming into this one would be, yep. inter- it would be my thing to watch. We will see how that goes. We've got, Indiana at Maryland. This is the uh, Big Ten tailgate game of the week. Uh, Maryland favored by five and a half. And that is a battered Maryland offense. They're down their, you know, two of their best playmakers at wide receiver. Uh, defensively, they're playing without corners. Like it's really tough. Indiana, very similar situation, just super banged up offense. Defense was hampered against Ohio State. Um, I like Maryland to get back on track and they only need two more wins to get to a bowl. So I think this one's going to be uh, in the forefront of their mind. Yeah. Big one for them. And I I'd like to see it. I think with the way that that team started this year, uh, getting to a bowl game would be big and allowing them to start creating some depth at those key positions moving forward for, for them. I still think they have a lot of juice. They have a, they have a bright future. It may not be immediately similarly to how we talked about Rutgers, but I think they're doing some good things right now. Um, and I think this is an opportunity for somebody to step up and with it, with a game like this, as you were talking about, you know, injuries, things of that nature, there's a really good chance for, for just a no name to pop up here and have a, have a huge game 
and I think it'd be I think it's going to be an interesting thing to watch. I mean, not a no name, but somebody who hasn't done it before. Yeah, step up, have a big game, and be a real cha- game changer. Um, I think I think that's got that, and then ultimately Maryland's got Talia. So for sure, yeah, and, and he's dangerous. Yeah. Um, Minnesota at Northwestern, Minnesota's seven and a half point favorite in this game. Uh, Minnesota is interesting to me because they control their own destiny in the West. Um, their losses are to Ohio state, which obviously was the first game of the year. And and that's a a game that a lot of people are going to lose. And they lost to Purdue, which they had a little bit of shine. The shine is off, but, uh, for them, what's been most impressive is they've had their top two running backs go out of the game, uh, season ending injuries, and they've still been able to produce running the football. Uh, they've had five running backs this season go over a hundred yards, which is really impressive. So I'm looking for them to continue their success against Northwestern. Yeah, they still, they still, the one area where they haven't gotten banged up is up front and they got some hog malls up there yeah, and a really experienced, re- real experienced group as well. And, and that's going to bode well, especially the end of the year, defenses start slowing down. They start having nicks. They start having bruises. Those guys up front can really settle in and be an anchor point for them moving forward for the rest of the year. For sure. Uh, Purdue at Nebraska. Nebraska favored by seven and a half. Um, this one is, I think, big for Scott Frost program in terms of just winning the football game. That's it. That's all he's got to do, man. They just got to take it. They just they just got to keep keep building, start winning. And finish strong this last half of the year. Um, if he wants a chance to continue to be the head coach at Nebraska, I think that's what he's got to do. Penn State at Ohio State night game. Um, big number here. Ohio State's favored yep. by 18 and a half. Um, I think for Penn State, defense is going to be key for them because this is a good defensive unit. And Ohio State's obviously rolling on offense. Um, if they can't come up, with the stops early in this game, to me, it's not going to look good at all. They're going to need some early stops. I also think they're going to need a couple turnovers to give their offense some short fields. Um, But these games always seem to find a way to be either blowouts or really good. So I think it's going to be one of those, one one of the two, one of those two outcomes. I don't think it's going to be in between. Yeah, and it's interesting because that game that we both played in in 2014 was not supposed to be nearly as close as it was. So um, anything tends to happen in these kind of games between the two powers. And it's not like Penn State's cupboards bare. They've got really good players. They just, you know, they've fallen on hard times lately. Yep. Um, All right. So Iowa at Wisconsin is a big game for this week. Iowa back in the top 10. Wisconsin putting together a couple of wins in Wisconsin fashion. They're favored by three and a half as an unranked team over a top 10. And they were favored over Michigan in the game that they played as I think they were still ranked at the time, the lower ranked team in that game and ended up losing. Um, This will be big because we haven't seen Iowa since they lost to Purdue. And we, we both had questions about, Could the defense get back on track? And also, could they get more creative on offense? Wisconsin has found their identity, but they're going up against an Iowa defense is going to be hard to run on. So I'm really trying to figure out what the key to this game is going to be. I think this is going to be good old-fashioned Big Ten football at its finest. The one thing that you brought up earlier in our conversation that I think is going to be a big point in this is 
Wisconsin's ability to throw the football. And when they get put in situations where they have to throw the football, they tend to throw it to the other team. Yeah. And although Iowa um, is a little banged up in the secondary, if, if they can kind of get back in form of creating, being ball hawks and creating some turnovers on that side of the ball, I think they're going to have ample opportunities um, if they can, if they can keep Wisconsin behind the sticks uh, and, and kind of, and off schedule they're going to get their opportunities. And I think if Iowa can do that, I think they're a little bit more explosive in the past game. And I think ultimately they're going to be able to, to have a couple of those big ones off play action. And I think Iowa ultimately gets it done. Yeah. Wisconsin being off schedule is definitely not a formula for them to win. Um, I think that's a really good point that you bring up. Iowa has a defense that can definitely force them into some unfavorable situations. Um, so definitely looking out for that little tidbit. And then finally, this is the game of the week, Michigan favored by four and a half at Michigan state. And this is the clash of the Titans in the East. You've got a Michigan team run the football, play really good defense versus a Michigan state team. That is more explosion on offense in the pass and run game and play really aggressive defense. Um, I think Michigan overall probably has the better chess pieces. I think Michigan State has a team with a dangerous mentality under Mel Tucker. They're going to come out swinging. Uh, your, your analysis of their offense is great. I think your, your analysis of their defenses is what I, what I think could be a game changer because this is going to put Michigan in situations where Cade's going to have to probably bail him out a few times, situations he hasn't been in, situations where – they can punt it, punt it away. It's all right. We'll rely on our defense. But if that offense is playing good complementary football and swinging and hitting and connecting on a couple of those haymakers, now Michigan's in for, for a game. And it's something they really haven't been in. And I think Michigan State has posed the biggest threat to them from that standpoint of anyone they've seen this year. So if Michigan State can connect on some big things offensively early and their defense can put Michigan in some unfavorable situations, whether or not they force a turnover or not, um, if they get them punting the football, who knows, you know, who knows? I think, yeah. I think this is going to be a really good football game though. I tend to agree. I, I think this game, regardless of the outcome, who wins is going to be a close football game. It's going to be a knockdown drag out type of situation. You've got two of the more interesting personalities as head coaches coming to battle here. There's obviously a ton of history with the little brother and, it's a trophy game with the with Paul Bunyan trophy. So I'm super excited about it. I'm glad it's at noon too, because we don't have to wait to see the yeah. matchup. We get it early on in the Saturday, which is going to be awesome. Uh, but I feel like this was probably one of the best shows that we did. It was a lot of conversation, um, kind of digging deep into what we're seeing around Big Ten football. No doubt, man. Hope, I think we're going to get a lot more juice to be able to do things like that moving forward. Just, you know, fortunately for us, Penn State, Penn State had to had to stir the pot a little bit and now everything's spewing out of it. So I think I think there'll be more, some more conversational points with that one. And then I think a few others moving forward here. So. Yeah, I know. Early in the year, it was me railing on Ohio State's defensive issues and could they get those fixed? And <laughs> now it's you talking about the Nittany Lions and just things we don't want to have to do, but we got to do in this business, man. What it is, man. It is what it is. <laughs> but hey, at least at least we're fair. At least we've been there and done that. We've been in their shoes. So I think I think we're two of the more qualified guys talking about it. I would think so, man. All righty. Well, this is the JP and Hack Show, part of the Field of 12 Media Network, Season 1, Episode 10. 
presented by our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. Again, Joshua Perry, my guy, Christian Hackenberg. And we'll be back with you next week. Stay tuned.